0: Hello, everyone. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its Associate Fellowship, The Bread of Life, in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about how God is using us to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local missions fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org the Christian life is a life in which we are called to rule or reign over life with authority and power. But in order to do so, the Christian first must fully understand what he or she has become through saving faith in Jesus Christ. We start with who we are, and then we step out to reign as royalty in life. We've actually been looking at this section of scripture here for about five different Sundays, and we're going to progress over time through portions of it. But we've, in a sense, been drawing out the main points and the main ideas that you'll find in chapter 6, and you'll also find reiterated in chapter 7, and to some extent in chapter 8. And, and I believe this morning we'll find some reference, or we'll make some reference again to each one of those chapters. What we started with was a need to know something, something that we could ground ourselves in, something that we could, in a sense, not simply know intellectually, but that we could be awakened to in a deep and profound discovery. Something that we would know believingly, something that we would know convincingly. And we find it at least beginning to be initiated to us in Romans chapter 6 verses 5 and 6. There it says, If we have been united together in the likeness of His death, speaking of Christ's death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, being convinced of this, believingly convicted of this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And so, Christian, know this. Here's where we find ourselves. A Christian is a regenerate being. That is what Jesus called, we have been born again. It's what Paul says, we have become new creations in Jesus Christ. What's new is two things in a sense, and we've discussed this already, but we're going to look at it because this is re over and over. Last week I said that this passage is just very repetitive, and one of the things you should understand is when the Bible keeps repeating itself, it's because it needs to be repeated. It's something that needs to be ground and put down deep into the bedrock of our souls and our spirits. And here are the primary essential changes And for the believer, for the born-again Christian. And the first one is that the sinful spirit of man that was bound in sin and in communion with this world has died. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've trusted in Him and you've repented of your sins and turned to Him for life and salvation, you have that old man has died it's dead then the the claim that sin had upon you has been broken the essential communion that your old spirit had with the spirits of this dark age has been broken that's the first thing you've died the old man has died and, and the second thing is this a new spirit has been raised within you in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and so you live but you live a new and totally transformed life you've been raised in Jesus Christ in the place of sin, He's raised His Spirit up within you. And now you dwell and you live in the inner sanctum, you might say, of your soul. In communion, spirit with Spirit, in communion with the living God. And so, Paul tells us, we've not received the Spirit of this age, but the Spirit which is of God. We've entered into this deep, abiding communion and relationship with Him. In the past, our old, fallen, sinful man was Living, you might say, residing in the tendencies and the impulses of the flesh. They worked in cooperation with one another in order to entertain and engage the sin of this world and Satan who guides and directs and leads. And... But now what's happened is we no longer are abiding in our flesh. We're living in Christ. Our spirits are abiding in Him and His Spirit abides in us. This transformation has taken place in a wonderful and powerful way. We're in Christ and Christ is in us. This doesn't mean that we have no encounters with sin and we have no encounters with Satan. It doesn't mean that we don't have a battle with the spirits of this world. It's actually quite the opposite. These old agents of sin and Satan oftentimes were like docile companions of ours that hung out with our spirits as our spirits rested in our flesh. But after we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, that communion and connection with sin and the spirit of this age, and the spirit which is in this world, which is Satan himself, was in a sense, that relationship was severed and driven from our spirits. And they went from our spirits, and they no longer have a binding tie to our spirits. And they laid down hard into our flesh. They're still in our flesh. And from our flesh they seek to come against us, and they cause and they agitate the impulses of our flesh to wage their war against us, but we're at war against them. And we're at war against those expressions and impulses in our flesh that they bring about. We have been redeemed and we've been regenerated, but our flesh has not yet been redeemed. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. In fact, when he speaks to his body and refers to his body in Romans chapter 6, we've just read it in verse 6, he speaks to it as the body of sin and then when he refers to the body again at the end of Romans chapter 7 he speaks to it as a body of death that's his perspective on his body it's not something that is necessarily reflecting what has taken place in his spirit and the transformation that's taken place in him interesting enough in chapter 7 he is so radically changed so wonderfully changed in spirit in relationship with God so radically departed from the impulse and tie that the the spirit of this age and sin and Satan had tied him into his own flesh, that now he finds himself looking almost from a distance at the sin that is still roiling within his body, within his flesh, and that brings him into sin. And now he hates it, and he's opposed to it, and he's opposed to these eruptions of sin in his flesh. But he speaks as if it's something that's separated from himself. He's changed. He's made new. He's been transformed, and he knows it. By the way, when that happened to Paul, I'm sure... He He had an experience when he was wonderfully saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and the infusion of that life poured into him and he was given a new spirit, a spirit of love that broke in upon him to cause him to love God and love the very people that prior to that he'd been persecuting and to love God's family and God's church and to love God's word and that word that he had memorized under the... Pharisaical principles of the law all of a sudden came to life under the grace of this life, uh, inbreathed life that he had through the Spirit of God. I think probably Paul thought what very many of us think in that moment of regenerative life, which is, I'll never sin again. <laughs> this is so wonderful. I've been forgiven. These sins have been purged from my life, and I've been brought into this vibrant relationship with God and I see the sin that's around me but oh God has changed me so wonderfully God you're good and you've done a good job I can take it from you I've got it now I've got a handle on these things so the confident Christian strides out to face the world and all of a sudden they find out that although sin has departed from the spirit it hasn't departed from their bodies they find out all at once that it still has its own independent physical appetites and attitudes that are driving them back into patterns of behavior that are wrong and sinful. And now they know that although God has totally transformed their spirits, He, he still has a job to do on their bodies. He still has a work to do to mold and shape and give expression to the way that their bodies act and perform that is commensurate or responsive to what He's done to their spirits. The born-again Christian that moment of waking up to see what sin is still in their body might say what Paul sees in Romans 7.13. They see the exceeding sinfulness of sin, and they see it still in them. And so in that awareness, they begin to evaluate their own bodies, and they might say, like Paul, I see that in my flesh there dwells no good thing. This is just a rotting flesh, and then in desperation, because they realize that a battle now is at play, where they're opposed to the very instincts that they have been resting in and residing in, in the old man, and now a new man has come in them that is opposed to all those instincts, and so they look at their body and they think, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? They go through a bit of a crisis, which they recognize that not only do they need to be Receive this new life from God and be forgiven of their sins and be made right before God. But now they need God to work in their life and to work through their life in order to bring their bodies into obedience. And that's all good. And it's all necessary. God is simply showing us that after changing and transforming our spirits, He still has a work to do with our flesh. And He's going to do it. And ultimately our promise is He's going to completely and totally transform our bodies so that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says one day we're going to have glorified bodies. But even now he's at work. So here's our situation. Sin is no longer in my spirit. I'm a changed man. I'm a new man in Christ. And Jesus lives in me. And I live in him. And I don't live in my flesh. I live in Christ. And where Christ lives, that place is a holy place. That's a pure place. But sin is, as we've said, still at play in my flesh. And I become more aware of that than ever. And I hate it. It's not what I want. But too often it's what I find activating my life and my decisions and the things that I do. And so the question is, what can I do? What is the next step when I identify this reality? And what do I do when temptation and sin comes upon my flesh? The answer is given to us here in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. I'm to reckon myself dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. I'm to do these two things. I'm going to be reckoning first, I'm to reckon myself dead to sin. We spoke about this. When Satan and sin comes around to call upon us, because we've been born again, because we recognize that the man and that spirit that they once were in deep communion with no longer exist, we can claim a new relationship to God, but in that relationship we can remove ourselves from any claim they have upon the old man we were. We can basically say, you're coming to the wrong person, the person you're seeking out is dead. He's not here anymore. And I'm a new person, I have a new relationship, and you have no longer any claim upon me. Because I've died to you, and I've died to your impulses, and I've died to your control, and I've died to your bondage. The word there for reckon in the Greek basically means to do the math. It means to add it up, to do the accounting. So we've been talking about that math for the last four or five weeks now. What I want you to do is to be in the situation where you can reckon this. You can add it up. You can be convinced, completely convinced, believingly convinced, embrace it that it's true so that you can reckon, I have died with Christ. That man and that impulse, those claims they have upon me are not right and are not true anymore. It's been broken. And the wonderful thing about This language that is the language of a math, this language of accounting is that math is a universal language. You can travel all the world and the language is changing. You don't understand it. But the fact is, but 2 plus 2 equals 4 in every single language, in every single place. It's universal. It's a universal truth. It doesn't matter whether you're in the 1st century or whether you're in the 21st century. Do the math. You're dead in Christ you put your faith in Christ and you believed in him, that old man that was bound in sin died with Christ and you're dead in Christ. Just as surely as Christ has risen from the dead, you're alive in him. So that's the second one is we have to reckon ourselves alive to God. Now, when we look at this passage of you reckoning ourselves dead indeed into sin and alive to God, and you go and you read the different authors who write about it and comment on it or write their sermons from it, it seems as though they put their attention primarily on the focus of being dead to sin all those things that we've been severed from and separated from and that we're dead to those things and so we're to deny ourselves any play in those things because we're dead to it but there's the other corollary we're alive to god and that's the great miracle the great miracle is he not only put to death that old man and the old spirit but he gave to life a new man that was bound in a wonderful relationship with god and so i want to just for a moment us to pause here and look at this passage and begin to understand that what's being delineated out for us is a portrait of what it means to be alive to God. Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. We'd love to hear from you. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to send us a message of encouragement or a prayer request. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.